Good morning. If you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, our main scripture is going to be verses 8 through uh, 16 today. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. This is what it reads. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says... Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You may be seated. Kirby, lead us in a word of prayer, please. Amen. This week, uh, or this today, I'm going to talk to you <clears throat> about making the most of your time. Time is a very valuable thing, ain't it? How many of you don't have enough time? Need just a little bit more time in the day. If we had just a little bit more time, we could do so much more. We could get so much more done if we had just a little bit more time. Before I get there, I want to do just a quick recap. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen from God's Word that everything comes from God and belongs to God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. I'm just going to cover a few scriptures this morning to make sure that I recap everything that I've, I've told you before. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14 says, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. So what does God own? 
<laughs> Even your house, your car, your job, everything that you have, it is from God and it belongs to God. Without Him, you would have nothing. Without Him, you could do nothing. We saw from the book of Genesis that God blesses us for the very purpose for us to bless others and to make Him known. You remember from Adam, God told Adam that I'm, I'm blessing you. I'm giving you all the herbs of the field and I'm giving you the cattle and all of these. I'm giving you dominion over everything. And the Bible says that he blessed Adam and then told him to be fruitful and multiply. It was his duty to take the blessing of God and to multiply his image by providing for his children that were to come. And then we saw in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 12 where Abraham had came, uh, God had came to Abraham and told Abraham that if you will leave everything that you are and everything you know and you will follow me, I will, make, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will take you into a land that I'm going to give you. And then he says something that just blows our minds. He says, and then you shall be a blessing and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through you. In other words, God told Abraham, when this thing is turned around to the way it's supposed to be, you are a conduit for my blessing to channel through. When this thing is turned around to the way we are supposed to have it, in God's way and His perfect design, He blesses us and then we turn around and we bless others. It's, we're just a piece of conduit for Him to run through. We have seen from many of our lives here, if we'll be honest, that we disconnect this blessing or grace of God from His purpose. Instead, we use the majority of His blessing to accumulate things for ourselves in this temporary life. We find our happiness and our security in, the, in these possessions that we have. Amen? And God wants us to find our security and our happiness in serving Him. And then Jesus teaches us to turn this thing around. He tells us that we should not try to continue to just accumulate. We ought to find a place to where, as we were talking in our Sunday school class this morning, we ought to be able to find a place where we can answer the question, how much is enough? When God has brought me to a certain point and He's blessed me to a certain amount, how much is enough before I can stop to say, okay, God, from here, from this point over, I'm going to bless your people with, with what you've given me. But instead, as I said before, we don't ever reach that point, how much is enough? We just ask the question, how much can I afford, right? How, what is my debt-to-income ratio? How much, can I, how much can I afford to go out and purchase? And that is the wrong mindset that we're teaching this day and time. We've got to turn this thing around back to the old days, the way it used to be. We were talking this morning, my grandfather, uh, he, he decided he was going to go buy a, a new truck. He was 60 almost 70 years old, decided he's going to go buy a new truck and he walks into Sharp Motor Company and he walks in and he says, I want that truck right out there. Very expensive truck and they asked him, they said, well, uh, how would you like to finance it? He said, I wouldn't. I want to pay cash for it. He ain't never borrowed a dime in his life. It is possible for us to do that. The problem is, kids, we think today that we've got to start out with what mom and daddy have worked their whole lives to achieve. <laughs> And some of our mom and daddies started out with what their mamas and daddies worked their whole life to achieve. We can turn this thing around and allow God to bless us and learn to ask the question, how much is enough? 
and shift this thing around back to where we're going in the right direction again so that instead of getting to a point to where whenever we, got, whenever we see somebody in need, we say, well, there's nothing I can do. I don't have it. Instead of being there, we can turn around and we can see that person in need and say the reason I do have it to give is because I haven't, allowed to get, I haven't let myself get into a place to where I can't afford to not give. You see, the, you see the shift? And I'm preaching to myself today. You know, I've been teaching this in Sunday school class for some time now. But we disconnect this blessing of God from His grace and we use it primarily for ourselves. Now, granted, we are giving people. I truly believe that. This church is giving people. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for your donations and the things you did, um, especially with this last little drive we did with the Help Center, uh, they wouldn't have made it. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God used you to bless others. So we do, you know, to some extent, we're not just way away from where God's supposed to be, but we do have a ways to go. We can still be correcting this thing and getting this thing turned around. We can start a plan today to begin to shift our lives around to where we're not so focused on us anymore, but we're just focused on being a blessing to others by serving Him. Jesus calls us to simplify our lives rather than to continue to accumulate, but this doesn't mean that you can't enjoy God's blessing. All right? I'm not telling you tonight that, it, that you're wrong if you have a hobby and you own a four-wheeler or you own a car, or an extra car. I'm not saying that. No, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse... Um, Tim, did I give you that one? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. Look what it says. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to what? In other words, God is not saying I'm just giving you this so that you can just turn around and just give it all away and you don't get to enjoy none of it yourself. No. He says I mean for you to enjoy the blessing I'm giving you. I mean for you to have fun with it. I mean for you to go out to eat from time to time. I mean for you to, to, to have a four-wheeler if you want a four-wheeler. I mean for you to be able to enjoy the blessing. But what I don't mean for you is just to see, be so focused on you, you, you that there's nothing left to bless anybody else with. I give you richly all things to enjoy, but do you have to have everything you think you've got to have? And the answer is no. I mean, if we were to sit down and look at all the things we have, how many of them do you think we could actually do without? A lot of them. And they're not wrong to have. Again, I'm not up here saying that it's wrong to have things. I'm saying it's wrong for us to put ourselves in a place to where we cannot, in turn, help others whenever need arises. But instead, we're focused on accumulating here. God gives us richly all things to enjoy, but as this right here says, the Bible also teaches us not to be haughty. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Now, whether you realize it or not, if you live in America, for the most part, you are the rich that this is talking about. The only reason we think we're not rich is because we live in a society that if you don't have the big house and all the cars and everything else, then you're middle class is what we say. No, compared to, compared to the rest of the world, you are in the upper, I forget how many percent, of the rich people in the world. We are rich. And he says, command those who are rich not to be haughty. Or the word haughty actually means 
high-minded, proud, very selfish with the things that he's given us, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but instead it teaches us to put our trust in God, that we should go to verse 18 on that, Tim. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share. He said that is the right pattern for the way God has designed us. We are being taught to enjoy the things that God has given us, absolutely. But to, to, we've got to be able to find a place to we, we, where we stop and say, with what God has blessed me with, this is enough. Because anything over this, I have nothing to give. Anything over this, I, I, there's no way I can share. Can I get an amen this morning? And I know half of you run off, but now don't the other half run off next week. I'm, I, I'm going to preach a little bit harder, but y'all just stay with me. He says here, be ready to give, be willing to share. This is the process that Jesus is trying to turn us around on here. He say, tells us that we shouldn't fear in doing this. It shouldn't cause us to fear in us sacrificially giving the things that God has given us away but instead that we should remember that we work for God and we are storing up things, and I actually think it's verse 19 is what I'm looking for, Tim. Instead, we are storing up for ourselves a good foundation for what? The time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. He said the evidence that we are actually saved is that we get in this place. That's the evidence. The evidence that we are actually Christians is that our heart's desire is not to be haughty and selfish, but instead our heart's desire is to be in a place where we can give. The Bible tells us that if we see our brother in need and, and we don't have a heart to, to, to give, that how does the love of God abide in you? And the answer is, it don't. It's not possible. So he says the evidence that Jesus Christ has came into your life and that he is the Lord of your life is a desire to want to be in a place and to begin to work, to get into a place to where we are willing to give, ready to give, willing to share, and we're storing up for ourselves a good foundation for the time to come that we may lay hold on eternal life. Finally, Jesus teaches us that to whom much is given, from him much will be required. In other words, I want you to think about in Matthew 25 whenever Jesus comes back for judgment because so many theologians, uh, theologians, they have so many different ideas about what's going to take place on judgment day. Uh, whether it's going to be these people who stand before this throne and be judged and these people here. I'm going to take my words from what Jesus said since he is the one going to be the judge. Matthew 25 actually tells us, and you don't have to go here, I'll just tell you. It tells us that on that day when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that he is going to come and sit on his throne and he's going to gather all the nations of the world together and all the nations will come together and they will stand before this throne. This is judgment day now, all right? I hope y'all paying attention because here's, here's what's on the test. We've been here before. Here's what's on the test. They, he gathers all the nations of the world in front of the throne and he has very simple questions for them. He separates on his right hand those that he calls his sheep and he calls them blessed of my father. He separates on his left hand those he calls goats and he calls wicked and lazy servants. So he looks at them and he says to the sheep, 
You are going to be rewarded because when I was hungry, you know what you did? You fed me. When I was thirsty, you know what you did? You gave me drink. When I was sick, you know what you did? You visited me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And then he's going to turn to the ones on the left hand and he looks at these goats and he says, I was hungry, but you did not feed me because we were too consumed in me. I was hungry. I was naked. You did not clothe me. And you know why you didn't clothe me? Because you were too, too consumed in me. I was thirsty, but you couldn't give me nothing to drink. I was sick, but you couldn't visit me. I was in prison, but you couldn't come see me. And then he looks at him and he says, I'll tell you what. Depart from me into eternal fire that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. The judgment day, what's on the test? The test is very simple. Did you have a heart to help those in need? Or were we so focused on ourselves that we couldn't even be in a place to help ourselves? So will he say to you, well done? Or will he say to you, wicked and lazy servant, depart from me? We saw last week that there are times that it is not needful to give our possessions. Sometimes it's good to withhold our hand. Sometimes it is not always the best thing in order to do good toward him to give his possessions. We saw that if a man don't work because he's lazy, then giving him money ain't going to help him. We have, we, we've seen that, that, that the Bible does not teach um, uh, socialism. It don't. The Bible teaches very plainly that God blesses people like Abraham and that there are people that he don't bless that are poor, that he just expects Abraham to bless. But the Bible teaches us that there are times that when a person will not get up and work on their own to get things, guess what? They don't eat. They're going to go hungry. And when you look around the majority of time, you see a lot of that. You do. But the Bible also teaches us to be careful in that. The Bible warns us that even though we got to make sure that we have done, did everything we could to help these people before we begin to withdraw your hand from them. So the Bible does not teach us that, that everybody you just, you just give to. The Bible teaches us that, that there are some times that it is best for a person that we do not give, but we got to be careful and make sure that we always lean to the side of mercy and compassion. We got to make sure that we are always leaning to the side of, of you know what, maybe they will do the right thing with it. And until they prove otherwise, we continue to help and we continue to bless and we continue to give. The goal is to do good to all mankind and sometimes not giving is doing good toward them. But this is a fine line. You will be taken advantage of from time to time. You know that, right? More often than not, you will be taken advantage of. But guess what? Do not grow weary in doing good. For you shall reap in due season if you do not lose heart. If you keep doing good, no matter what the result you see from it is, you will be blessed as you keep doing it. So today, let's wrap up this whole giving, prayer, fasting, everything we've been on. I'm wrapping it up today. You ain't going to hear no more after today until next year, until God says go through it again. We're going. This will be it. Today, I'm going to wrap it up by asking a question. How to make the most of your time?
How do I make the most of my time? I want you to look back at Ephesians chapter 5 with me one more time. We'll go through it pretty quickly. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. Basically, Paul tells us that now we are followers of Christ. Used to, you were followers of what? Darkness. You were followers of selfish desires, of all the things that are not of God. But he says now... That's not the way it is. Now you are a follower of Christ and now you should walk like he walks and find out what is acceptable unto God. I want you to look at verse, um, verse 9 and 10. 9 and 10 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is, and then it gives a list there, but the actual Hebrew text actually just says one word right here. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is light. In other words, what it means by this is the fruit of the Spirit is what is true. The fruit of the Spirit is what is good. The fruit of the Spirit are the things that are acceptable to the Lord and we should walk in these things finding out, in verse 10, what is acceptable to the Lord. And then in verse 11 he tells us, he says, we should have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather we should expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. So then look at verse 17. Basically, what, or verse 14, I'm sorry. Basically what Paul is saying is this, to sum it up. He's saying, you're Christians. We ought to be walking in light, right? We ought to be finding out what is acceptable to the Lord as we walk, as we grow. Do I want to say this? No, I don't. We ought to be finding out what is acceptable unto the Lord. <laughs> You've been there, ain't you? We ought to be finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. But instead, he tells us to do this. He says, those who are not walking acceptable to the Lord, those who are not in a place to where they're supposed to be, here's what you need to do in verse 14. First thing, wake up. He looked at me, Nick, he said, Kevin, wake up. Wake up. It's time to quit sleeping on the job. You have a job to do. You are a steward of mine. I'm coming back and I'm going to ask you what you've been doing since I've been gone. If you had a business, let's say you owned a store, and you had to go on a trip for a year, and you trusted in someone, so you decided that you were going to make Nick King your steward of that store. You were going to give him all of your finances. You were going to put him in control of everything that you have. Basically, you're just going to give him everything that he needs in order to run this store successfully. But then you come back in a year, and that store is out of business. That store is losing money. It's not doing well, and you come to find out it's not because the economy is bad. It's because Nick only wants to go to work two or three days a week. He's hunting the rest of the time. He's out fishing. He's out doing all kind of other things instead of going to work. And not only that, but he's been skimming the tab. He's been opening the register up and getting him some money to put in his pocket so that he can go out and buy him a new bow to go hunting with. How do you feel about Nick King? Is he a good steward? No, he's not. And he looks at us and he says, he said, Kevin, it's time to wake up. I'm coming back. And I'm going to set you on one or the other. You're either going to be on the sheep or you're going to be on the goats. And which one will decide is whether or not you were that faithful and good, wise steward. And you took what I gave you and you 
used it in the way that made me profit. He says, I entrusted it to you so that you could grow others like me. And whenever I get back, I want to see what you've done. So he says, Kevin, it's time to wake up. And not only that, but rise from the dead. And follow Christ and he will give you light if you follow him. If you will listen to his commands. His commands are not easy. You know what he told us about his way, don't you? He said the way is narrow and it's very difficult. He said it's not an easy path to follow me. But he said I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So he says follow Christ and he will give you life. Then look at verse 15. He tells us to walk circumspectly. Or the word circumspectly actually means deviating in no way from our duty. So he says make sure when we're walking that we're walking following Christ, not deviating from it in any way, but we have our eyes focused on following him and whatever he teaches us, that's what we desire to do. He says be sober. Be vigilant in Peter. He said, your devil's like a roaring lion going to and fro. He said that it's very important that as you walk, that you make sure you keep your eyes focused on everything that Jesus wants. You know, we come and we learn something new every week just about, right? And boy, he's threw some stuff on us here lately, ain't he? Fasting, oh Lord, have mercy. Who in the world ever heard of fasting? Fasting every Wednesday, preacher, are you crazy? Yeah, a little bit. Y'all learning that. Finances, preacher, you all over me now. You, you, you got to back off. You got to back off. Things are getting too hot in here. Well, this is the things that God's showing me personally in my life. And as he shows them to me, my eyes begin to open. I say, wake up, Kevin. Get up from the dead because you've been sleeping too long. And follow Christ and he will give you light. He will show you the true way. And then in verse 16, he tells us something very important. Look what he says. He says, redeem the time. What does the word redeem mean? Anybody know? When you were redeemed by the blood of the lamb, what did he do? Transformed. What did you say, Pope? Paid for. Basically, the word redeem actually means to, um, to take back, to recover from the power of another. So he says, it's time for you to redeem the time. The time that you have been spent has been taken over and controlled by fleshly desires, by all of the things that we want, by all of the things that the world would have. He says, it's time to redeem the time. It's time to take back control of your time and to start using it for the purpose that it was designed for. And what was your time designed for? To serve God. He says, redeem the time because the days are evil. Take back your time for God's purpose. And then I asked the question, how do I make the most of my time? So I asked, so I, I, I said this, work consumes most of our time, right? It does. And you know what? This is not necessarily a bad thing. Let me explain. Paul told the Thessalonians to work while they waited on Christ so that they could help those who are without and to provide for themselves. You remember I taught you that last week. Paul told them it's a good thing for you to work. It's a good thing for you to work with your hands. He told the Ephesians, let him who steals steal no longer, but instead let him work, laboring with his hands, which is a good thing is what the Bible says. And he says that you are to work and laboring with your hands so that you can have to give to him who has need. 
So he says that working and being consumed with work is not necessarily a bad thing. However, here's the problem. There's a warning in the Word of God. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8. You ain't got to go there, Tim. I have it here in just a second. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8. Look what it says. There is one alone without a companion. He has neither a son nor a brother, yet there is no end to all his what? He's consumed by what? Labor, work. He's consumed with it. So he says here, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. He says, but he never asks all this work that he does, all this consuming of work that he's consumed with, he never asks for whom do I toll and deprive myself of good. And look what Solomon says about this. This also is what? Vanity and a grave misfortune. He said being consumed by work for riches, being consumed by work for accumulation, being consumed by work for selfish reasons, it never satisfies. It never satisfies. You have, you have a, a, a decent house now, turn around two years from now, build you one double the size. It ain't going to be long. You want something else. Let's make it just a little bit bigger. Let's do things just a little bit better. He says it never satisfies. He says it's vanity and it is a grave misfortune because he never asks the question, for whom do I toll? And the answer is either for myself or for God. It never satisfies when you're working for selfish reasons. Luke 12, verses 16 through 20, working to accumulate for yourself is a waste of your time that will lead to death. Now, working to have things to enjoy, yes, I believe that that's fine. Everything is just fine with that. But working to just continually accumulate, get more and more and more, he says it's a waste of your time. And this is the parable that he spoke. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, verse 17, and he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. He's just accumulating. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, what? Fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? He said, fool. I blessed you so that you could turn around and bless others. Not so that you could just keep stacking and stacking and stacking. Where is the question, how much is enough? So that I can get myself in a place that I can bless others with what God is blessing me with. Work and being consumed by work is not necessarily a bad thing unless it is for selfish reasons. When it's being consumed by work to, to uh, work for God, to be able to do things to give, I, don't, I believe being consumed with work is a very good thing. However, don't allow your work to cause you to neglect other works of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter, uh, verse 9 through 12. Look at what it says. And I'm almost at a closing, believe it or not. Almost at a closing. I don't want to get your hopes up. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. Look what he says. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. 
for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, but what else did they do? He said, we preach the gospel, to, the, we preach the gospel of God to you. And then in verse 10, he says, you are witnesses. And God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted you, we comforted you, we charged you, every single one of you as a father does his own children so that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You hear what Paul said? Paul said, I labored night and day. Night and day. I was consumed by work. However, I did not neglect my duties of God to help you grow in faith. I did not neglect my duties of God to pray for you, to study my word. I did not write to Timothy and say, study to show yourself approved, but I'm not going to study because I'm working all the time. He said, no, I was consumed by work. However, I continued to preach the gospel to you. I exhorted you. I comforted you. I charged every single one of you while I continued to labor night and day. And I did it all for the glory of God. He says that is a good way to spend your time. He says in verse, look at Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God, what's that next word say? Require, what does it mean to require something? If I say I require $20 from you, what does that mean? That means that I'm going to get $20 from you because that's what I require. He says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? Here it is. Fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways and to love him and to do what? To serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. God requires our time to be used by serving him. That's a requirement. That's why we redeem our time. That's why we take our time back from our fleshly desires and from the things we desire. Parents, listen. Your kids ain't got to play every sport on the docket. I think it's great that, that they're involved in all these things, but we get out of football season, we got to go right into what? And then when we got out of that, we got to go right into what? Soccer, baseball, before, I mean, we consume with all of these things. And don't get me wrong, they're not bad things. They're good things. But God says redeem your time. Take your time back from your fleshly desires and make sure you don't neglect the things that I have called you to in order to fulfill your own fleshly desires and purposes. There's nothing wrong with you enjoying those things. But for goodness sake, ask the question, how much is enough? How many of you parents ever got to a point to carrying your kids to practice uh, four times a week? You go, Lord, how much is enough? <laughs> Amen? You ask the question, I mean, how much is enough? Does my kid have to play and be involved in every single thing that is out there to where we neglect everything else that is going on? Paul says, I redeemed the time and I spent it serving God. In closing, I said it, in closing, time is more precious than we realize. And we need God to teach us how precious it is. Look at James chapter 4 verse 14. You ain't got to turn there, Tim. I have it in just a second. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, do you? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then what happens to it? You know, I know we think we understand that, 
But you ask somebody that's 70, 80 years old today if they understand that better today than they did yesterday. They'll tell you real quick, life is a vapor. They'll look at you and they'll tell you, yesterday I was 16, Nick. Yesterday I was 16 years old and just getting trying to get my driver's license. It was just yesterday, Wanda. I mean, yesterday I was getting my driver's license and couldn't wait to drive that old junky truck down the road. Life is a vapor. It is here today and it is gone tomorrow whether you like it or not. Look at Psalm chapter 90, verses 10 through 12. The days of our lives are 70 years for some. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, Yet their boast in that is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Look at verse 11. Who knows the power of your anger, God? For as the, as the fear of you, so is your wrath. And look at verse 12. So teach us to what? Teach us, Lord. We don't understand how quick this life is. If we did, we'd do things a lot different, don't we? You ever heard that old song Tim McGraw sings, Live Like You Were Dying? How come it takes some kind of reality popping in our mind that death is knocking on our door before we start living like we're dying? He says, teach us, Lord, to number our days before the doctor tells me I've got six months. Teach me to number my days that we may gain a heart of what? Wisdom. Teach me, Lord, so that I know that my life is a vapor and tomorrow I give an account for everything that you have entrusted me with as a steward of yours. Tomorrow, I meet my maker. You know, Anthony gets tickled when I talk about that kidney stone, but I didn't know what was going on when I had that kidney stone. I thought I was dying. I really did. I was just sitting there, and I, I did. I, I, I was laid back seat. I'd never had one before, and I was in so much pain, and I couldn't feel my arms and my hands. I couldn't feel my face. I, I, I was having trouble breathing, and then I finally got to a point where I just looked up and said, well, I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> I didn't say it like that. Yeah, I said it a little bit greater than that, but I did. I said, well, Lord, I'll see you in a minute. And, you know, we get tickled when I look back and think about it now, but it very well could have been. It very well could be for you any minute, any second. You might not make it back tonight to where you stand before your maker and he says, give an account for everything I've entrusted you with. Does that scare you? Does that frighten you? The main purpose for our time should be for eternal things. If we redeem our time, we will take possession of it for God's use and serve him. If we use our time wisely, we will be that good and faithful servant whom his master finds serving when he comes. So work, people, work. But work for God to provide for your family and to give to him who has need, not to accumulate selfish desire. Don't spend your time working for selfish gain alone. Use your time wisely and work for God. And here's my invitation this morning. Why do you work when we read Ecclesiastes a few minutes ago, Solomon asked the question. He said, he works all the time, but he never asked, for whom do I toll? And that is the question. Why do you go to work every day? Why do you work? Is it solely just so that you can pay your bills? 
if that is the case, then we've got some turning around to do. He says, we got to ask the question, for whom do I toll? Why do I go to work every day? What do you spend your time on? Is your time consumed with all of your own selfish desires or is your time set to serve God? And then you have time for selfish desires. Nothing wrong with certain selfish desires. I'm just saying we shouldn't be so. We have this thing backwards. Do you all see the picture I'm painting? We're backwards. We spend everything on us and then the scraps on him. Why don't we turn this thing around and spend on him and put the scraps on everything else? Then we'll be ready to stand before him as a good, faithful, and wise steward. Because listen, people, this life is a vapor. One day you're going to look back and go, why did I waste it? I only had a few years to do the Lord's work, to lay up eternal things, and I wasted it on me. Why do you work? What do you spend your time on? If Jesus came back right now to hear your account as a steward of his blessing to you, would you be with the sheep or would you be with the goats? Would he say to you, well done? Charlie, come on up. Here's the question. Are there some things in your life that need to be turned around to direct more toward him and less toward you? If he came back to, give an account, to ask for an account of his blessing and his stewardship that he has given you, would you be able to hear him say, well done? Would he look at you and say, I was hungry and you fed me? Would he look at you and say, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink? Would he look at you and say, I was naked and you clothed me? Or would he have to look at you and say, wicked, selfish, lazy steward, my love was not in you. It couldn't have been. If it was in you, then you would have had a heart to not be selfish, but to go out and to follow Christ and to comfort those in need. Are you like me this morning? Do you need to turn some things around? Evaluate yourself. Let the Lord speak to you, not me. Let the Word of God speak to you. And if He does, I ask you, let's start changing the things we need to change and we can begin today.